You might not know it, but retailers are desperate to know if you're having a baby. They will trawl through purchasing data, combine it with third-party data and use smart AI algorithms to rank those most likely to conceive. Having a newborn baby is wonderful, not just for mothers and fathers, but for shops as well. It means you'll buy lots of new things that you've never bought before. For a retailer, this is a perfect storm. Not only will you need products you never bought before, but your habits will be so heavily disrupted that you could be persuaded to switch all types of products, not just baby gear. To talk through this idea, I'm very happy to share the first part of my discussion with Richard Shotton. Richard is author of The Choice Factory, the best-selling book on applying behavioural science to advertising. He started his career 19 years ago working on accounts such as Coke, 118 and CompareTheMarket.com before moving into research. Richard writes extensively about the application of behaviour science and marketing for titles such as Marketing Week, Campaign and Quartz. And to start with, I asked Richard to explain why understanding consumer habits is just so important for marketers. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com slash service to do more for your customers today. So, so the, the particularly interesting habit, I think there's a lot of work um, around how much of our behavior is habitual. The underlying reason being there's so many decisions to make in life, not just commercial ones, but just navigating our way around the world, um, getting through from day to day. There are so many decisions, it would be mind-bogglingly time-consuming if we weighed up every single one of them. So often a simpler thing to do is just default to, well, what did I do last time? Now that is a sensible tactic for the individual because it makes uh, quick, fast decision-making possible. But where it becomes a problem is for brands who want to gain new customers because how do you um, persuade them or encourage them to, 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 to kind of switch to your brand if they're not even uh, making it uh, ever kind of considering their purchase so what then becomes interesting as well what are the moments when 
um, people's habits become destabilized and therefore they are more open to trying a new brand. Now, there's, a, there's a couple of different areas around this. Um, there's an interesting area from the Babel Insights team who say essentially habits harden over time. So what you want to do is be reaching people before those habits have kind of calcified and hardened. So um, get people as early as possible, which is interesting because often people who are just beginning in a category, you know, they're just starting to shop a supermarket, they're, they're taking out a bank account for some, they might not be profitable at that moment. But if you accept that habits are hard to overturn, you want to be reaching people before they are profitable to you so you can recoup that money later on. So that's one of the first things, kind of reach people before their habits hard. So once habits form, they're tough to break. This idea was heavily publicised by the Behaviour Insights team. Now this is the team that sits inside the UK government, encouraging all faculty of government on how they can use nudges to improve their work. David Halpin, who runs the team, wrote about this in his book Inside the Nudge Unit. He explains that once someone got into the habit of, for example, paying their tax late, it becomes very hard to get them to change. Essentially, not paying tax became habitual. But because it's habitual, these late payers became very used to receiving mountains of letters and calls asking for payment, so sending additional communications really made no real effect. The most effective way to stop these late payers is actually to change behaviour before it becomes habitual. For HMRC, this means making sure the businesses pay taxes on time in their first year of trading. David's team heavily encouraged the HMRC to use all the communications, letters, phone calls they could to get small businesses to pay tax in their first year to form the right habit. And what's interesting here is this goes against all traditional thinking in the HMRC. They thought it made more sense to go after major tax avoiders who had been paying late consistently, but actually the habitual insight allowed them to dramatically reduce the number of businesses that became late payers in the future. The Behaviour Insights team applied this logic elsewhere as well. They found the Home Office would typically write to foreign residents after their visa had expired, saying they needed to take action. The team said this was the wrong way around. The habit had already formed by then. Instead, they asked the Home Office to alert residents before their visa was due to expire. When this fairly simple idea was carried out in a randomised control trial, it was found to be extremely effective, raising the number of recorded official visa cancellations by 20%. It's better to get people before they have got used to the habit of breaking the law, and it's also cheaper too. Now, it may sound simple, but it's often not applied by the private sector. Most services we buy only inform us once a payment is late, not before. In fact, most gyms we subscribe to won't message us if we miss a week, a month, or even a year, allowing bad habits to form. But there's a second reason why habits are so important to marketers, which I'll leave to Richard to explain. The second one is around the destabilizing effect of, of life events. So by life events, I mean things like uh, someone gets married, they move house, they start a new job, uh, they get divorced, um, they go to university. What's interesting is it seems that when people undergo these big changes when their environment is destabilized that then has a knock-on effect on all their um, perching behavior so a colleague and i laura western we uh, surveyed 2370 odd people and we asked them two questions one at the beginning of the survey and one right at the end so we could uh, you know put a nice big gap in between them 
asked other questions so that they were kind of thrown off the scent and know what we were after. And the first question was, look, please tick any of these life entries you've undergone in the last six months, married, divorced, retired, etc. And then the last question was, and um, in these categories, tick uh, the category where you have switched the main brand you use. And we asked in different waves. I've asked that different in, in slightly different waves. So, you know, got a new favorite brand, tried a new brand. And on and, and, and all of them, we've seen the, the same pattern that people are between two and three times more likely to try a new brand, switch uh, brands to have a new favorite if they have just undergone uh, a, a big life event. Now, that becomes interesting because it is not an academic finding. It is a very practical, uh, easy to apply finding. And now we have so much data on consumers, it is easy to identify people who have just undergone a life event, but that's Facebook will have data about your relationship, status changing, Experian has data on uh, where you live, uh, LinkedIn, of course, have data on if you've just moved jobs. All of these moments are now very easily and, 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 and simply targeted. <laughs> So if you've just got married, divorced, moved house or had kids, you are far more likely to make drastic changes to the major products you buy. Now historically this would have been a pretty difficult segment for marketers to target, right? There's no real way to advertise just to new mothers via TV or, or radio ads. But with digital ads it becomes far easier to target people after a life event. Sonos, who produce high quality speakers, heavily base their ad targeting around life events. Interestingly, they didn't target a single event, like getting a divorce or moving house. Instead, they just targeted every life event. If you were moving, graduating, having kids or getting a divorce, you were probably quite likely to see one of their YouTube ads. They simply applied the idea that life events encourage non-habitual purchases and targeted their normal ads at all of these consumers. The results? Well, compared to the traditional ads they put out on YouTube, these life event ads generated a 37% lift in purchase intent, a 424% lift in people searching for Sonos, and a 52% lift in ad recall. There was also no increase in ad spend, they just utilised a consumer nudge to get an impressive result. What I find so interesting about this is it goes against so much traditional marketing thinking. As marketers, we're told to constantly focus in on our target market, to think about how personas are most likely to buy us, to imagine how old these personas are, what they wear, what other products they buy, and intensely advertise towards these specific people. Sonos essentially chucked all of that traditional thinking out the window. Instead of targeting a specific persona or even a specific gender, they targeted just everyone going for a life event and actually achieved far greater results than normal. So if you haven't tried life event targeting in your marketing, perhaps it's time to give it a go. Interestingly, there's another time when consumers are also likely to break habits. This isn't linked with life events at all, but merely with your age. I'll leave it to Richard to explain. And then the, the, the final one that's quite interesting around habits on a much grander scale is there's some lovely work by um, Adam Alter and I think Hal Hirschfield, definitely Adam Alter, and they've looked at something called Nine Enders. And this is the idea that people whose age ends in nine, so if you're like 29, 39, 49, that's a nine ender. Uh, people whose age who ends in nine are much more likely to make big lifestyle decisions. Now, I like this uh, experiment for a couple of reasons. 
because at first when I read about it, I thought, you know, this just sounds hokum. And the, the first way I read that they'd proved it didn't give me much uh, faith because what they did was look at a giant global survey, I think it's called the World Value Survey. And one of the questions is, you know, in the last year I've made major lifestyle changes. And they found that people whose age ended at nine uh, were much more likely to agree with that statement. But it is claim data, so you're treated with a bit of caution. What, what then makes it much more believable is, and this is, this is I think, the mark of a, a good psychologist, and, uh, like Adam Alter, that they then thought really creatively, really laterally, about what data sets can we use, observed data sets, um, which might prove or disprove this point. And they took three really interesting uh, areas. They looked at Athlinks, an American uh, athletic website, and they saw that people who did a first marathon were much, I think it's like 40 odd percent more likely uh, to be nine enders. They looked at Ashley Madison Affairs website and saw that people who, men who were having an affairs were more likely to have their age ending in nine. They even looked at American suicide data and saw a sm small but statistically significant uplift of male suicides uh, when people's age ends in nine. So again and again, they saw that uh, both in claim data, which we can give some credibility, but more importantly in observed data, as people approached the end of the decade, they were more likely to make these big decisions. And their argument was, we don't treat time, um, uh, we don't treat all moments of time in the same way, that we give some disproportionate importance. So when we turn to a new decade, that is a particularly important moment. So as we're approaching that, we're more likely to, to uh, weigh up how our life's going. For many of people, they might think it's going absolutely splendidly and not make any big decisions, but there will be a proportion who think things are not going to plan and therefore they'll uh, make these, 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 these big changes. So if you are a brand who are, who's targeting, let's say you're a diet brand, convertible brand, uh, sports car, uh, if you're a, selling big luxury holidays, all of those brands might find success by targeting people who are nine enders. And what's interesting here is the economics of it. Because none of your, or m very few of your competitors will be targeting this group, it means they won't be in this high demand and therefore you'll be able to get them at a, a lower price than you should do. If, if, if media is being bought on an auction basis, you want to be bidding on uh, groups and facts that are under under demanded. And I think that nine enders is certainly one of them. This nine ender phenomenon is also reported on in Daniel Pink's new book, When. He also emphasises this idea that first-time marathon runners are just more likely to have ages ending in nine. Spouses looking for an affair, they're the same, and even suicide rates seem to spike when your age ends in nine as well. This may sound pretty trivial, but if you're working in marketing, it's pretty much a vital rule you should learn. Those with an age ending in nine are simply far more likely to change their habits Combine that with a major life event and target them in real time before habits form, and you've probably got an audience of potential customers who would just be more likely to change their habits and buy your products. So this makes sense from a digital advertising perspective where marketers can target specific demographics, but what about more traditional campaigns like TV or radio ads? 
I asked Richard about an ad by Sainsbury's which used a gorilla to help consumers realise how habitual their shopping experience was. Yeah, I think you mentioned Sainsbury's. I think that was an AMV uh, campaign. And the, the gorilla part of that was they came up with this lovely idea of people were, were sleep shopping, they said. Um, so they, I think they're... Think they're bit of theater to persuade the client that this was happening was to send someone around in a, a, a supermarket in a, in, a, in a gorilla suit and question people uh, other shoppers who were there at the same time as they were leaving the shop and half of them didn't even notice this uh, ridiculously dressed person because what they were arguing was people were sleep shopping they weren't even paying attention to anything just trying to get through tick things off their list you know their tunnel vision as they were walking around so their um idea to kind of was to shake people up out of these habits and what they did there was a wonderful bit of creative called try saying new today they used all the assets that Sainsbury's had at their disposal you know whether it's staff training in-store activity or the huge tv spend they had to try and encourage people to um, break out of that unthinking habitual behavior now I think that's an amazing example and you know Sainsbury's phenomenal uh, revenue generator uh, from it according to the IPA papers the, the only reason I'd be slightly cautious is of, of recommending that more broadly is that you know, Sainsbury's firstly have a huge advertising budget and they're in complete control of their sales environment so they had to put all that muscle and leverage to try and change people's behavior generally we are slightly too over-optimistic about the ease of change of behaviour. So it's often far easier to work with existing behaviour patterns than try and override them. The success of this Sainsbury's ad is really impressive. The Taste the Difference campaign began with a video of shoppers walking around the store completely unaware that this gorilla was following them around and it introduced consumers to this idea that perhaps their shopping was just habitual. Then they used everybody's favourite celebrity chef, Jamie Oliver, to encourage behaviours that broke these habits, specifically how they could improve their normal meals with just a few extra ingredients. For example, adding a bit of nutmeg to spaghetti bolognese. Using their considerable marketing muscle, they were able to spread this message throughout their stores and in all of their marketing collateral. The result? Well, in one week alone, sales of nutmeg rose from 1,400 to 6,000 jars. But it wasn't just nutmeg. The campaign encouraged consumers to purchase several items they wouldn't usually buy, ultimately generating Sainsbury's a staggering $2.5 billion in extra sales that year. Richard makes a good point, however. Sainsbury's are just one of a handful of brands who could pull off a campaign like this. They have huge marketing expenditure and completely control the in-store experience. So how could a small brand, or perhaps even a charity, with hardly any cash pull off something like this? I asked Richard for another example. And the, other, the other example like, is saying like Stoptober, potentially, where you've got smoking, uh, recognising how, you know, that's actually a, more than a habit and an addiction. So, so I mean, you almost put it as an extreme habit. And what they did with Stoptober, I think, was use a number of behavioural biases to try and uh, break that addiction, break that habit. So some of it was around a sense of, um, social proof, you know, getting lots of people to do this at the same time. And secondly, creating a, what I think is really interesting is creating a deadline when one doesn't really exist. Because the problem often with smoking is, well, the benefits are far away. 
uh, sorry, sorry, the benefits of giving up smoking are far away for a smoker. You know, you've got to go, uh, whereas all the pain is in the moment. So it's very easy to say, I'm going to do it tomorrow, I'm going to do it next week. The great thing about Stoptober was creating a fixed uh, period of time, a fixed deadline to do it to overcome that, that sense of procrastination. So I think that's another uh, wonderful campaign. The result of that 2012 Stoptober campaign was really significant. All in all, 350,000 smokers attempted to quit smoking that month, which is 50% more than the typical average. And it's estimated that over 10,000 lives were saved too. So we've learned about how important habits are to marketers. But have you considered how habits actually affect you? Perhaps you're listening and thinking that you're not particularly habitual or that you regularly try new and different things. Well, research would suggest otherwise. The true scale of our habitual behaviour was first quantified by two psychologists, Jeffrey Quinn and Wendy Wood from Duke University. They gave 279 students watches which were programmed to buzz at set times. Whenever the watch buzzed, the students recorded in detail their actions at that moment. Across a range of areas, from exercising to travelling, from eating to socialising, 45% of the behaviours they recorded were habitual. These are decisions being made without conscious thought, simply followed due to our habits. So if 45% of our behaviours occurring due to habits, it's likely that many of you listening will be partaking in a particular habit right now. If you're driving back from work, you're probably taking the exact same route you take every single day. If you're commuting on the bus or on the train, you're probably sitting in the same seat you would usually sit. And even if you're scrolling through your phone, chances are you're on the app that you use three or four times a day, and it's likely that you open that app without even thinking. It was just a habit. Now, habits are useful at saving us time, but they also hamper our creativity. We know bad habits like smoking or not exercising should be changed, but we don't often think about the subtle bad habits we exhibit elsewhere, whether that's unconsciously speaking over someone in a meeting, putting off replying to an email we really don't want to deal with, or even giving your child an iPad for a bit of downtime rather than giving them your full attention. Being aware of your habits and how often you fall into them helps you evaluate how you spend your time and importantly helps you snap out of bad habits that you might not even recognise. Habits define almost half of all our actions, so as a marketer, it's extremely important to consider them before starting your next campaign. According to Richard, there are three key biases we need to be aware of. The first is that it's hard to change someone's habit, so attempting to advertise or message them before those habits are formed is really important, just like how HMRC targeted small businesses conducting their first tax return. The second is that life events often encourage us to change our purchase behaviour, providing brands like Sonos a simple way to improve their ads simply target people going for a life event. And the third is that nine enders are also more likely to make major new life decisions, like deciding to run a marathon for the first time. So if you're the likes of Nike or Adidas, it's probably smart to advertise running shoes towards this audience. But as marketers, we don't always have to work around existing habits. Campaigns from Sainsbury's and Stocktober show how we can encourage consumers to jump out of habits. And finally, we should stay aware of our own decisions to make sure we're not falling into bad habits, especially seeing as 45% of our decisions are dictated by them. So that's it from me today. If you've enjoyed listening to Richard, I highly recommend purchasing his book, The Choice Factory. It's a very up-to-date book which looks at the latest insights from consumer psychology and contains heaps of practical insights and ideas that you can apply to your marketing. 
Richard is also hosting a workshop on the 6th of June in London, where he'll help explain how to apply behaviour science nudges to marketing. If you're interested in that, take a look at the link in the show notes and you can register to attend there. Anyway, thank you again for listening to this episode of The Nudge. Thank you.